If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Jerry's in the back. He'll slip you a Bible if you need one. We're going to be in chapter 51, traveling into chapter 52 tonight. Before we get into our study tonight, just a couple quick announcements. I want to let you know that on Fridays, uh, you young married couples, if you can sign up, there's a fellowship that happens. I believe it starts at 6 o'clock, and uh, it's an opportunity for you just to get to know one another and um, and uh, have some fellowship. So uh, come on out on Friday at 6 o'clock, and Travis, who's leading worship, oversees that. Also on Friday evening is the young adults, so if you're a young adult, a college age, the group is called Wildfire. They meet at 7 o'clock here at the church as well. And uh, so Pastor Jesse oversees that. So a great opportunity for you guys to get together. Uh, Saturday morning, men's prayer at 7 o'clock. And um, then on Sunday, we're going to continue uh, with our uh, study in the book of Romans. So um, we just got through one verse on Sunday, the opening verse. So I promise we'll go at a faster pace. Um, but there's so much that is in Romans. And... Uh, just we went through uh, the background of Romans and Paul and uh, he's in Corinth he's taken a collection from the saints there in Greece and he said I long to come to you but I was hindered and you know that how I desire to come to you I'm ready to preach the gospel there in Rome but he couldn't go at that time he was going to go to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem he would end up going to Rome uh, maybe not perhaps in the same way that he thought he would or hoped he would he would go as a prisoner and Paul would go through many trials and difficulties and it's interesting that Paul his prayer was he says I, I pray for you without ceasing and my prayer is that I may come to you and my journey may be prosperous and as you look at the way that he went to Rome, we can think it wasn't very prosperous. It was perilous. It was very difficult. But it was prosperous in the Lord's eyes. And I think there's a very important lesson in that as we read his salutation, his introduction to this letter. And then he gives the theme that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. And that's the theme of the book of Romans. And then in Romans chapter 1, verse 19 to chapter 3, verse 19, he declares how we're all guilty and we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then the doctrine of justification is given. And then starting in chapter 6, the doctrine of sanctification. Uh, it's a wonderful book. And, and so we're going to take our time going through it, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And I know that you will be tremendously blessed. And it is my prayer is that your heart is revived and your heart is refreshed as we go through this incredible epistle as Paul takes pen in hand there in Corinth and he begins to write to the Christians in Rome. He gives it to a woman named Phoebe who's at Censoria that's on the coast. She gets on a boat and gives it to the saints there in Rome, the believers, and it's preserved for all eternity. You know, I'm glad that Paul, that he was hindered from going to Rome because if he was journeying to Rome, perhaps he would not sat down and wrote this letter that we have preserved for all eternity. And so I'm thankful that Paul was one that he did what he could do. And that was the principle that we saw there in uh, week one. Uh, listen, maybe you're in a place where the Lord has laid something on your heart and it's not working out and it's difficult and things aren't happening the way that you thought or it could be. But know this, 
you know, the Lord is still working. And even though Paul, he says, I hope for a prosperous journey, it was very perilous. But in the Lord's eyes, it was prosperous. And wherever he has you and wherever he's placed you, know that it's going to be prosperous as you just trust in him. And maybe you can't do a certain thing, but do what you can do. And Paul, not going to Rome and not able to and hindered, he takes pen in hand and he writes a letter to them. And now we get to study that letter 2,000 years later. So God wants to use you, perhaps not in the way that you thought or um, in the way that you had planned out. But we're going to even see in Isaiah here in just a couple chapters that the Lord says that my ways are not your ways. And my ways and my thoughts are much higher than yours. And we can trust him. Uh, we can trust him that he's going to do the very best. So looking forward to that study. Um, there's other things that are in the bulletin. Take a look at it. And uh, we're looking forward to, to October, what the Lord has for us here. Oh, I do have a prayer request. Um, I've been given just little updates. You'll notice that um, the um, car dealership over here has moved out. There's very few cars. So um, the owner called me and he says, we don't know exactly what we're doing with that property. You know, they're still figuring it out. So would you be in prayer about that? Um, just in prayer that um, I've talked to him and said, yeah, it'd be nice if uh, we could continue to park or if there is a way that we could work something out. And, um, you know, if you want to give that to us or whatever the case may be. <laughs> and. Um, the owner, Co, he's a Christian man. I respect him very much. And, and, um, and him and his family, he's got decisions to make. But, but will you be praying um, that the Lord would give us favor? Because I don't know what he's going to do. He could sell it, and they could build apartments on it. Or another dealership is looking at it. They could park that whole thing up, and we lose our parking. So uh, we're thankful that we've been able to use it. He's been very kind to us, and we've worked very well with him. We always try to be good neighbors with, with everyone. When you come during the week, uh, Hope uh, Therapy Center over there, they don't have much parking, and especially for their clients, so they use our parking lot. And they called and said, you know, we'll pay you for it. And I said, you don't need to pay us for us. You know, freely you have received, freely you shall give. And that's always been a philosophy of our ministry, that we give Bibles away, we give the Word of God and CDs, and, and we want to bless this community as much as we can. And, and so we're very grateful for Colet and us park over there and, and um, our neighbors here. We want to be a light to them and a witness to them. And uh, we're going to continue to be that. So um, just be in prayer about all that. There's no update. He's got some meetings coming up, and maybe the Lord will work something out to where... You know, we'll be able to do something. But I'm just trusting in the Lord. People ask, what are you going to do? It's getting crowded and stuff. And it's like, well, I don't know. We'll pray. We'll pray, right? Amen? I mean, it's his problem, not ours. He's, if he's bringing the people, he's going to provide for us. And so I'm not worried about it. But, you know, we're going to continue to pray and do due diligence and shake the bushes and see what the Lord does. Because where God guides, he what? He provides for us. All right. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you that um, this is your church. We thank you for this facility. We're very much um, thankful for uh, what you have provided for us. And, Lord, I, I thank you for every person that has come here. Um, so, Lord, uh, we desire tonight to feed upon your word. And, Lord, may we see your heart in, in uh, what Isaiah writes to the people 2,700 years ago. Because you have the same heart for us. And as we study your word, um, 
I pray that our hearts would be stirred. And it would cause us to, to know that, Lord, you love us and that you desire to do a marvelous work with us, that we can trust you, that you're all-powerful, you're all-knowing. And, and, Lord, you have redeemed us. We belong to you. And, Lord, that those who belong to you will not be ashamed. So I thank you that we can hear your word tonight in your heart through the word of God. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in chapter 51, when we started looking at it last week, there's three times in this chapter that the Lord says, listen to me. And whenever the Lord says, listen to me, it's very important. It's like when Jesus would stand up and he would say, take heed, uh, oftentimes to the multitudes. And when he would say that, what he was saying is, pay attention, this is important. And the people weren't listening to the Lord as he was speaking to them at this time. You see, it's about 100 years before they go off into captivity by Babylon. We saw in chapter 37 that as Hezekiah, who was a good king, he brought revival to Judah, that during his reign, the Assyrians had taken the ten northern tribes, the house of Israel, off into captivity. The house of Israel, they were a mess. They had like 19 kings. They were all evil kings. And Isaiah begins his ministry before they go off into captivity. And yet Isaiah warning them that it was going to happen. They refused to turn to the Lord. And then he indicts Judah. He says, Judah, you should have learned from your sister uh, Israel. And because you have ignored what has happened and, and the word of the Lord to you, and you continue in your idol worship, know that captivity is going to come to you, and it's going to come by the hands of the Babylonians. Now, at the time that about 700 B.C. that Isaiah is writing this, is the Babylonians who, uh, they were not a powerful empire at this time. The Assyrians are declining because uh, we saw in chapter 37 that as they surrounded Jerusalem and Shennacherib was mocking God, he was mocking Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem saying, you need to surrender. And who is this God that Hezekiah is telling you to trust in? Uh, he can't stop us. None of the other gods of the other nations have stopped us. And, and we looked at that and that's the tactic of the enemy. The enemy comes along and he desires to mock us and desires to frighten us and put fear and intimidation uh, into our hearts and in our souls because when we become fearful that's when we can make bad decisions. That's when we begin to falter and faint in our faith and it was Hezekiah that took those threats and he spread it out uh, that letter that Shennacherib gave to Hezekiah and the leaders before the house of the Lord and they prayed and they fasted and in that night that they did that an angel came and destroyed one angel 185,000 Assyrian soldiers that ended up dying being slain by that angel and so the Assyrian Empire is on the decline the Babylonians are on the rise and they are rising to power and we know that Babylon would be the world power in about 608 BC and coming into Jerusalem their first 
first uh, wave of captivity in 605 B.C. So he's saying that this is going to happen. And there's still the Lord pleading with his people to turn to him. So he's saying, listen to me. First of all, in verse 1, as we saw last week in chapter 51, all you who follow after righteousness, look to Abraham, your father, verse 2, and to Sarah who bore you. And what he's saying is, remember Abraham, who is your father, the, the father of the nation. And of course, we know his story from Genesis chapter 12, that Abram was called by God to leave his father's house, the, the land of the earth, the Chaldeans, which is over by where Iran is today, or Iraq actually, where Babylon would be headquartered. And it was a place of idol worship. Leave your father's house, leave your place of idol worship, and come to the place I will show you, and I'll make you the father of a great nation. And of course, it was Abram that would leave and go over the Fertile Crescent and come into the land of Canaan. And he's the father of the Jewish people. And God made a covenant with him that would go through Isaac and then Jacob and his 12 sons. And it is the Lord saying, look how he left that place of idol worship. You need to leave that place of idol worship. Right after that uh, Hezekiah, as he became king, his reign ends, that after these words are written, it is Manasseh that became the king of Judah. He reigned longer than any other king in Judah, 55 years, and he was the worst. He plunged Judah deep into idol worship, deep into sorceries and occultic kinds of practices. They were bringing their, their babies and burning them on the arms of Moloch and Baal there in the Valley of Gehenna. And here's the Lord that is saying, pleading with them. And I don't think that it's a, a, a voice of an angry father saying, listen to me. I think it's the voice of a weeping father that's saying, listen to me, listen to me. Look to your father Abraham who left that place of idol worship and you are to leave that place as well. And then number two, as we see in verse four, listen to me, my people, and give ear to me uh, and my nation. And so number two, know that salvation and righteousness is forever. And he says that lift up your eyes in verse six to the heavens. And the earth beneath, and this is where we left off last week, the heavens will vanish away like a smoke. The earth will grow old like a garment, and those who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. My righteousness will not be abolished. And so he is saying, listen, everything in this world, it's going to go away. It's going to vanish. It's going to burn up. And of course, Peter writes about that. I think I read that to you last week in Second Peter chapter 3, that the, the heavens and the earth as we know now are going to go up in a fervent heat but in that he says that what manner of men ought we to be you know what ought we to be because we know that 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 the heavens and the earth and everything in this world is going to vanish away but my righteousness and my salvation is forever and may we as we were reminded last week keep priority the things of the Lord and living for the Lord and so listen to me, he says. And then the third listen to me, let's pick it up in verse 7. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, my people, in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So the focus is not to be on man. You're not to fear man. You're to fear 
fear the Lord. And we know that Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 tells us that the fear of man brings a snare. Uh, but those who uh, trust in the Lord shall be safe. Psalm 56, the psalmist writes that in God I have put my trust and I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And even Paul the apostle, that he was one, that as he was writing to the Galatian churches, he would say in chapter 1 that if I fear man over fearing God, that I cannot be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And I think what happens is, is that we can lose heart with those who are around us. Maybe it might be somebody who has authority over us, a boss or, or something else or another situation. Uh, those who come against us, they insult us. They, uh, we are reproached in, in their eyes. They, they, they mock us. And we will experience that as Christians. Know that. Because Jesus said they will hate you because they first hated me. And Paul writing to Timothy would say that all those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You know, one of the questions that was asked to me yesterday was, do you think that persecution is going to increase as we get closer to the return of the Lord? And if it is, what should we do? How should we react? That was one of the questions that was asked to me on the radio program, Calvary Live. And, and it's a very good question because I don't know exactly what's going to happen between now and the return of the Lord when the Lord comes for his church, which I can believe can be at any time. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are in perilous times, even as Paul would write to Timothy, that in the last days it will be perilous times. And Timothy know this, that evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse. And he goes on and he says, what manner of men are we to be like? Well, follow my manner of life is what you're to do. And you must continue in the scriptures that you've known from childhood. And the best thing that you and I can do in this time where it seems like that our culture and our society that is getting more hostile towards Christians and, and towards Jesus and towards the truth of what is declared in his word. And we feel that, don't we? It has an effect on us. And I believe that it could get worse as we get closer to the return of the Lord. We know that there's parts of the world where uh, persecution has greatly increased in the Middle East and in Asia and parts of Africa, uh, even in South America. And I remember listening to some of the uh, guys, you know, that the first generation Calvary pastors that, uh, that I would listen to, and they would say that uh, persecution could really come to our nation. It's a possibility. And I used to think, ah, you know, uh, this is the land of the free, and we don't experience that much persecution, but I'm beginning to understand that, yes, we are, because our society is becoming more hostile towards us and towards you and in the workplace and, you know, with family, with neighbors, uh, you know, as, as you belong to community groups. They don't want to hear about Jesus. They don't want to hear about the Lord, and, and they'll insult you and come against you and try to get rid of you. And we as Christians need to continue in the scriptures and standing for righteousness. Listen, stand for righteousness. And unfortunately, what has happened in the church, and I mean the church at large, is more and more leaders are caving in to what culture is telling us and screaming at us and compromising the word of God and accepting that which is wrong and sinful and saying that it's good. And that was what was happening here in Isaiah's day, and it's happening even today. He says, listen, listen to me. 
You who know righteousness, and you and I, as we go through the word of God, we know what is right. And my people in whose heart is my law, don't fear the reproach of man. Don't fear man. You know, we're to fear God. And as we fear God, he's going to take care of us. And Jesus even said, don't fear man who can kill the body, but fear God who can kill both the body and the soul. So we are to be ones that we are to fear the Lord. So three listens to me, very important. And we continue in verse 9, awake, awake. Now, here's the thing. But now we're going to see three awakes. We saw three listens to me, and we're going to now see three awakes. And it's interesting, as you go through the scriptures, how many times, particularly as we go into the New Testament, you know this, that we're told to be sober, to be watchful, to be vigilant, don't go to sleep. These people here, Isaiah has already given them the indictment from the Lord that you guys are sluggish spiritually. You're not paying attention. And that very easily can happen to us. And so in the New Testament, we are being told over and over again, be watchful, you know, be sober, be vigilant. Don't go to sleep spiritually, especially today in the day in which we're living in. Don't become sluggish. Awake, awake. And even Paul, we're going to see that in the book of Romans when we get further on in chapter 13. He says, and knowing this, that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry or drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So he says, listen, awake out of your sleepiness for your salvation is nearer than when you first believed. And he says, put away sinfulness and carnality and lewdness and darkness and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He would say something similar to the church at Thessalonica as you move into 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're children of the day, not of the night. We're to be sober. You know, we're, we're to be putting on the breastplate of righteousness. And, and he's exhorting us that we are to walk in that light. We're children of the day. Don't go to sleep. Don't go to sleep. And so here we're told the same thing. Awake, awake. And he goes on, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days, in the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? So awake out of a heart that is slow to listen, that is sluggish, because God wants to work for us. Wake up to his faithfulness and his greatness. He has worked in the past. He's going to work in the future. And he makes reference to Rahab, cut the arm of Rahab. That word in the Hebrew, it means pride. Uh, and he mentions the serpent here. Now, it, it is believed that it speaks of, in poetic terms, of God's victory over Satan. Uh, Psalm 89, verse 10, you have broken Rahab in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. And in verse 10, you are not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the deep, great deep, uh, that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over. 
So the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads, and they shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So speaking how the mighty arm and power, you know, saved the children of Israel from the Egyptians. And, and you know that they came to the uh, Red Sea, their backs up against it and two mountain ranges on both sides. And all of a sudden, the Egyptian chariots, they saw the dust rising up, and here they came. And they began to cry out, the Egyptians. They lifted their eyes, as it tells us in the book of Exodus, and they saw the Egyptians. But they needed to lift their eyes a little bit higher, as it was Moses that stood up and said, see the salvation of the Lord. You're not going to see the Egyptians anymore. And of course, we know the story, that famous story in the book of Exodus, how the Lord parted the Red Sea and they crossed on dry land and then the Egyptians, they tried to go through and the waters receded and drowned them. A couple of things in that. There are those who will come along and try to explain away the miracles of the Bible and they try to explain away that miracle. They'll say that, well, it really isn't the, the Red Sea, it's the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D, that, you know, is a swamp area near the, the Red Sea. And that's what the, the you know, uh, children of Israel were crossing. It's only a couple feet deep, and it was a, probably a dry year, and the wind came up and just uh, kind of dried it out a little bit, and that's what they ended up crossing. Well, here, whenever anybody says that or suggests that, we know that the Bible dismisses that very clearly. The waters of the great deep made the depths of the sea a road. We're going to see in verse 15, who divided the seas, who waves roared. So there was a wall of water. We know the psalmist would write the same thing on either side of them. They were in the depths of the sea. It was the Red Sea. Somebody sent me a little comic. It, it was kind of funny. Here's Moses as there, you know, the walls of water on both sides. And, you know, there's Moses up front and all the people behind. And then there's a guy with a fishing pole throwing it into the water on the side. And Moses looks real irritated. And he says, there's always one in every bunch. So <laughs> I kind of like that. I got a kick out of that. So they crossed on, on dry land. Now, if I was an Egyptian in the chariot... I would not have gone in that water. There's no way I would have gone in there, but they did because I'm sure that the commanders told them to, and of course they were drowned. But here it's speaking of, again, the mighty arm and the power that saved the children of Israel from the Egyptians. He can save you. He did it when it came to the Assyrians, one angel, and he can do the same thing when it comes to the Babylonians. Look to him. And as you trust in him, the, the joy that will come, the joy and, and gladness, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I think that every single one of us, that we want to have joy in our lives, don't we? We want gladness. We don't want to be ones that have sorrow and full of sorrow because we're living a life of carnality and sin, and that's what it will bring. And if you're here tonight and you say, that's what I want is joy, true joy in my heart, and gladness of heart. It comes by trusting in Him and looking to Him and living for Him. And that's what the Word of God declares to you and to me. And I pray that we would say, yes, Lord, I'm listening to you, I hear you, and I'm going to awake, and I'm going to live for you, and I know that there will be joy and gladness that will come to me. 
And as we continue in verse 12, I even I am he who comforts you. We need the comfort of the Lord, don't we? You who are, um, who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and a son of a man who will be made like grass? And you forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. You have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loose and that he should not die in the pit and that his bread should not fail. As we look at this again, we see that why should you fear man? If you fear man, you're not going to fear the Lord. And sometimes we can fear man so much that we end up forgetting about the Lord. And that can take place as well. Sometimes people will come and they'll see me and, and they'll say, I'm in a situation and I'm, I'm scared, I'm fearful. And I'll say, have you gone to the Lord? Have you prayed? And they say, no. They just, they're so overwhelmed and, and full of, of, of just anxiety and difficulty. And when we are in that situation, we're to go to the Lord and look to Him. And He desires to bring comfort to us because even as Paul, as he was writing to the Corinthian church when he was in Philippi. And he says, you know that when we came out of Asia, that time where Ephesus, the whole city, rioted against him and the silversmiths, and he was driven out of Asia, that, that area, his third missionary journey, where there was so much fruit, wasn't there? whole city was given over to Jesus Christ and all of Asia and churches were planted, and yet he was driven out. And he says that when we came to you, we were despaired of life. We were pressed beyond measure. But the God of comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations, was there for us. And he desires for you to be comforted because he's the God of comfort in all of our tribulations, not some of them. And maybe you're going through tribulation. Maybe you're going through a difficult time or season or situation and the Lord desires to bring comfort to you and that's what he says, that I am he who comforts you. Why should you be afraid? We've seen so many times in Isaiah that the Lord has says, don't be afraid. And there are times in our lives where we become afraid. Circumstances or what's going on in our own lives or financially or businesses or jobs or our health. And the Lord says, I want to bring comfort to you and strength to you. And of course, Paul, when he was in prison, chained to a Roman guard, he's writing to the Philippian believers, and he says, I don't know what's going to happen to me. But what is happening, I know this, is for the furtherance of the gospel. And I know that to go to be with him is to my advantage, but Paul, as he's writing that epistle, he doesn't know what the sentence is going to be when he stands before Caesar Nero at that time, his first imprisonment in Rome. But he would say that be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, and the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So those of us who are looking for the peace of God, we have peace with God as we come to him, but we want the peace of God in our lives and our situation. And as we go to him, not being anxious, not fretting, but in prayer, supplication with thanksgiving, thank you, Lord, that you see me and you hear me. You know what I'm going through. And Lord, I need your comfort. I need your peace that rules in my heart right now. 
that passes understanding. I don't understand everything that's going on, but you're going to give me a peace that passes understanding. And as we continue here in verse 15, but I am the Lord your God who divided the sea, whose waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I put my words in your mouth. I have covered you with the shadow of my hand and I, that I may plant the heavens and lay the foundations of the earth and say to Zion, you are my people. I am the awesome God who you are to fear. And I've covered you with the shadow of my hand there in verse 16. Speaking of the Lord is our shelter and our protector of our soul. You know, I put my word in your mouth. I put my word in your mouth. So listen, when that person comes against you and that person insults you or makes fun of you or comes down on you, the Lord has put his word in your mouth. And you just be sensitive to his leading. We don't have to blast back. We don't have to be hateful. But you speak what the Lord would have you speak. And know that he sees you and he's going to take care of you. And he said, blessed are you who are persecuted. I'm still trying to get there to that point of when I get persecuted or, you know, I get a letter or an email or... Uh, after a teaching on the radio or whatever it may be, uh, that somebody who very much is opposed to the word of God, I don't get angry. But I'll pray for them. And if I have opportunity to share with them, I'll share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so know that, that we have the Lord that will bring us comfort and he will guide us in what to say. What I'm simply saying is I hope that people see the love of Jesus Christ in us. It doesn't mean that we're doormat to be walked on. I'm not advocating that whatsoever. But to know that the Lord, that he will take care of you and the Lord will help you and he will strengthen you as you make a stand for him and for righteousness. And as we continue in verse 17, Awake, awake, the second one, stand up with Jerusalem. You have drunk all the hand of the Lord, the cup of his fury. You have drunk the dregs of the cup of trembling and drained it out. Awake, direct it right at Jerusalem. Because of your disobedience, you've experienced, you're going to, devastation and destruction. When we get to Jeremiah, Jeremiah oftentimes would would act things out. He, he would be dramatic. He brings the leaders of Jerusalem to the valley of Gehenna and he takes a pot and he takes it and he throws it down and it shatters in pieces and he says, this is what's going to happen to Jerusalem. If you rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be great devastation and destruction and death that's going to happen. But they wouldn't listen. They rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar and the third time he came into Jerusalem, he destroyed Solomon's temple. He destroyed Jerusalem. There was great death and devastation. And here, because of your sin and disobedience, this is what you are experiencing. And there is no one to guide her, in verse 18. Among all the sons she has brought forth, nor is there any who takes her by the hand. Among all the sons she has brought up. And these two things that come to you who will be sorry for you, desolation, destruction, famine, and sword, by whom will I comfort you? For your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of all the streets like an antelope in a net. They are full of the fury of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. The leaders had failed them, no one to guide her. 
among all the sons she has brought forth. The political leaders, the religious leaders at this time were corrupt. There was no one to lead them. You know, leadership is very important, isn't it? And we can get very frustrated at our political leaders, right? And, and I get frustrated like anybody else. And I see what's going on, and I get concerned, and, and I get, you know, upset, and, and like anybody else does. And we think, we're the leaders. What's going on with our leaders? But we need to pray for our leaders. But I do want to bring it home a little bit closer to you and to me. What about us? What about us, mom and dads, leaders in your home? And I want to encourage you that, that men that I believe one of the great needs in the church today is men will step up and they will lead. They will lead in their marriages and they will lead in their families. And don't be passive about it. Because the repercussions and the consequences of not leading are great. And they have a lot of ramifications in a negative way if we are not leading our families, especially in the day in which we are living in. And we cannot be passive about it and say, well, I hope everything's okay, and I hope my family's okay, and I hope my kids growing up are okay. You better do more than hope. But we need to be in prayer for them and with them. Men, lead your marriages. Love your wives as Christ loved the church, which means you're going to serve her, and you're going to cherish her, and you're going to love her unconditionally. You lay down your life for her. It's not one who's walking around being all dictatorial and obnoxious and all of this. You lead with a caring heart and a loving heart, and you live with her in an understanding way. And the Lord is so serious about that. He says that, husbands, if you do not do that, then your prayers are going to be hindered. Living with her in an understanding way is that you're listening to her, and the things that are important to her need to be important to you. You don't just brush her off. You don't just, you know, uh, I'm not going to listen and put her down, but you are one that you serve her and you listen to her and God will bless you and you pray for your kids. And there's going to be times when you say to your kids, we're not going to do this. We're not going to go here. You're not going to be a part of this because I love you and I'm responsible for you. But again, men, don't be passive. And this is for me too. And being leaders in our homes because it's the great need and what can happen is that we can become passive or I'm too busy and we're instructed that you're to raise your children and fathers in the ways of the Lord. Of course, mom is involved in that, but read Ephesians chapter 6 in the admonition and the training of the Lord. Colossians says, don't provoke them to anger, but you be one that you lead in your home. And one of the things that I talk about with the staff here and the guys is about leadership. What does it look like here at Calvary Chapel? We're here to serve you, to give you the word of God, to be humble before the Lord. That's what leadership is. It means that we're the servant of all. Me being a senior pastor means I'm the servant of all. I've seen churches where they have the little diagram, you know, the lead pastor and everything. They need to take it and flip it around. It means I'm going to be accountable before God in what I teach and how I serve. And I know I don't do that perfectly. None of us, 
we're not perfect husbands and fathers and mothers. I get that. The Lord is still working. But we can pray and say, Lord, help me. That you have ordained me as a man to be the leader in my home. You have commissioned me as the divine commission from above that you are the head of the house and the head of the wife. And wife, that does not mean that God loves you less or that he's superior to you or that you're inferior to him. It's just an order that God has ordained. And men, we are to take that very serious and to be that covering in our family to protect our homes, to provide for them. Oh, the, the suggestions today and, you know, how to be a leader, you know, men and get a motorcycle and, you know, go. If you want to do that, that's fine. But are you praying with your wife? Are you praying with your kids? Dads, are you taking your kids for a walk and, and talking to them? You're, you're young men about what it means to grow up and about purity, about living for the Lord and loving Him, what the Lord means to you. Are you gathering together as a family and as husband and wives and praying with each other and praying for each other? Parents, are you going in, in, in with your kids in those rooms that they're sleeping in and praying over them? Because I'll tell you this, that Satan is working overtime with our young people. And I know that there are many that are brokenhearted over loved ones and children or family members that are no longer walking with the Lord, pulled in by the world. And we need to be praying for each other. And you pray for your kids at the time that they're little and you don't stop. And if they are out there being pulled in the world, you keep praying for them. Because there's always hope in Jesus Christ. I think of that prodigal story, the prodigal son. You know it in Luke's gospel. And there's the father that he runs to meet his son when he finally came back from the world. And, and I believe, I think, how did the father know that the son was coming from a distance? I think every day that father was out there looking, looking for his son. Is he going to come home? Is he going to come home today? And he runs to him. And I want to encourage you because some of you might be here saying, I got saved at a later time. I didn't do that with my kids. Or I can look back and I can see how I failed in some ways. And all of us, I think that we can see how we fall short. Oh, because it does get busy and we falter and we fail. And I know that I wasn't what I could have been and should have been. But don't give up and keep praying and keep pressing forward. And dads in your homes now lead. Make it a, a decision right now. I'm going to lead in my home. Because the leaders here failed the nation. The spiritual leaders and the, the political leaders. And they ended up going off into captivity. Don't let your family go off into captivity. By the stupid seduction of the world. Be a covering for them. Be a blessing to them. Pray for them. 
And therefore, please hear this, verse 21, you afflicted and drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord and your God, who pleads the cause of his people. So you have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. You shall no longer drink it, but I will put it into the hand of those who afflict you, who have said to you, lie down, that we may walk over you. And you have laid your body like the ground and as the street for those who walk over. I'll deal with Babylon, and he would deal with Babylon and what they did to his people. And awake, awake, chapter 52, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments. O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. He's given them hope. Awake, awake. Whenever, again, it's repeated twice, there's an emphasis, put on strength. There's going to be a near fulfillment of this that they would come back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. We've seen that, that Isaiah has already declared that it would be Cyrus that would give that decree for them to come back to build the temple. There's going to be the ultimate and future fulfillment in the kingdom age when the Lord comes back and he gathers the Jews there in Jerusalem upon himself, to himself, and put on your beautiful garments. But as we think about this, that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ as we just read from the book of Romans, right? And then Paul would write something similar in Ephesians chapter 4 as he tells us that we are to be ones that you put on the new man which is created according to God and true righteousness and holiness. That's chapter 4 of Ephesians, verse 24. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You put off the old man. You put on the new man. So we're to be put-offs, okay? Put off all that junk. The sin, the carnality, the, the lust, futility of mind, he says, put it all off and put on the Lord Jesus Christ in, in righteousness and holiness. The Lord desires for us to walk in holiness. It's a word that we don't hear a whole lot in the church today. Because I think that even in the evangelical church that, that there's this casual kind of, of, of atmosphere and teaching that we want to be so casual. And, and we're pretty casual here, you know, as we come, we come, as we dress. But we don't want to be so casual spiritually that we forget about the Lord and what His Word declares to us. So there are those who say we won't talk about sin. You know, we're just going to be happy messages and we're going to, you know, do those kinds of things. But the Lord is telling us, put on the new man. You're a new man, a new woman because of the gospel has saved you and to walk in that holiness and righteousness that he has for you and for me. In verse 2, shake yourself from the dust. Arise, sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you have sold yourselves for nothing and you shall be redeemed without money. You have sold yourselves for nothing. It really struck me as I read that. They sold themselves out to idols and false worship and spiritual slugginess and immorality and all of this. He says that you shall be redeemed without money. Peter would say, of course, in his epistle that you haven't been redeemed with gold and silver but you've been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. All the money in the world could not redeem you. Only Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that 
what it is that people will sell their souls for today. The stupid things that people will sell their souls for. For drugs, for pornography, for carnality, immorality. And what it does to people's lives. You and I have been bought, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. And as Peter would go on to say, he's brought us out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So we don't want to go back to the darkness. And sometimes as Christians, we can even fall into the seduction of the enemy in the world and we end up selling our souls to something that ends up destroying our spiritual lives and the repercussions and the consequences. Yes, there is forgiveness. But there is pain that comes with it. You see, the Lord doesn't leave them without any hope. He says, the time's going to come. Where I'm going to deal with the Babylonians. In Jerusalem, there's a wonderful future for you. But in the meantime, you've sold yourselves for nothing. And it's a brokenhearted father that is saying that. And if you're involved in sin or carnality or compromise in any way, it's a loving father that's saying, don't go there. Because it's going to bring you a lot of pain and sorrow. And you're going to get hurt. And the people around you are going to get hurt as well. For thus says the Lord as he says that in, in verse 4, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, and then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now therefore what have I hear, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them, make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. You, you were enslaved to Egypt. The Assyrians oppressed you. They blasphemed the true God by trusting in their false gods, saying that their gods were stronger. And God would deal with Egypt and the Assyrians and know that I am the Lord. And you are taken away for nothing. Everything of this world that we give ourselves over to is for nothing because it's going to come to nothing and it's going to burn up. That's the great deception of the enemy. Thinking what we're going to, you know, gain, but we lose. You're taken away for nothing. It's not what I wanted for you. You didn't turn to me. But the day is going to come when you will know that I am He. Interesting as we make these links that I am the Lord, I am the first and the last. We know that Jesus made the same claim in the book of Revelation. He's the Alpha, the Omega, the what? The first and the last. I am the Lord, there is none other. I am the only Savior. Jesus is the Savior. We know that here that the Lord, as he declares that I am he who speaks, behold, it is I. That I am he, does that ring a bell? Jesus said to the religious leaders, if you do not believe that I am he, he spoke it, then you're going to die in your sins, is what he said to them. And in verse 4, we read through verse 6, verse 7, let's go there. 
I love this verse. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. It is time to speak up and tell people the good news that God brings. Paul would, would quote this. We're going to see in the book of Romans chapter 10. Listen, without the gospel, there is no good news, is there? We are privileged to proclaim the good news to others. The good news that Jesus Christ came and died for you because of his love for you. And he rose again and he is your hope. So wonder it is Paul that writes in the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. It is the only thing that will save you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that Paul is writing to the Romans when they're in Rome, the capital of the known world, that there were all the military, you know, commanders there, generals, that's where the emperor was, that's where all the power was in Rome. Incredible power, incredible empire. Before that was Greece, the Grecian Empire, Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire and the philosophers and the intellect and, and Athens and all of this and, and, and the power that they had for so long. And yet all the power of Greece, all the power of Rome could not forgive a person of their sins, could not bring somebody to salvation, only the gospel. Only the gospel has the power to change a person's life for salvation. So we get to proclaim that. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. So what my prayer is, listen, I pray that we keep Jesus always the central message in this church and of this ministry. Paul, when he went to Corinth, he says, I came preaching nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message that we have to give to others. To proclaim the good news that salvation is possible, that the Lord loves you, forgiveness is available, and come to him who brings glad tidings of good things to proclaim salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So Father, we thank you that in our hearts there's peace and glad tidings because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that we can come right now to the communion table and as the believer takes the elements, because communion is for the believer, it's, it's to remember what Jesus did for us, this new covenant that we belong to. As we hold the, the, the cup and take of the bread, his body broken for the forgiveness of sin, his, his blood shed to make atonement for you and for me. This is a time for us to worship and be thankful, not just an exercise that we do every first Wednesday and Sunday of the month. But Lord, I thank you that we get to worship here and take of the communion elements. But I do want to pray if there is anyone here, you've never come to Jesus Christ, we give you that invitation right now to come to him. He loves you. We proclaim the good news. Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's a reason why he came because of sin. There's a sin problem, and we are all affected by sin. 
But Jesus came and died for you and for your sins. And he rose again as he was buried and he proved he's the son of God. And he sits at the right hand of the father and he says, come. That my salvation, even as we read in chapter 51, is from generation to generation. It is for you today. He is your salvation. There is none other. You can't save yourself. Coming to a Bible study won't save you. Belonging to a church won't save you. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ, believing that I need to be forgiven. And Jesus died for me. And I want him to be my Lord and Savior. That's the good news. And you have the promise of heaven and right relationship with the Father. If that means anything to anyone here tonight, even if you're listening on live stream and you're not saved, will you pray this prayer? And for you here, sincerely in your heart, that I come to you, Jesus, as I am. I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe in you, that you died on the cross for me. I believe you died for my sins. Forgive me. And that you're alive, speak into my heart. And I ask that you would be the Lord of my life, my Savior. I know that there's none other. And I want to walk with you, know you. I thank you for this new beginning. And I want to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and put away all the things of the past. I put it under the blood of Jesus. And I come to you. Thank you that I am born again. Thank you for this new beginning. I want to walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And listen, if anybody here, if you prayed that prayer, you're welcome to come.